good-looking group of kids. Always good to see young people in church, amen? Church without kids. Well, that'd just be boring, wouldn't it? Then it'd just be us. <laughs> so, praise the Lord for that. Hebrews chapter 11. I'm told, I, I don't know uh, other than reading this, because it kind of fascinated me, this truth, but I'm told that an African impala can jump to a height of 10 feet high and 30 feet out when they jump. They're quite the jumper. Yet these same creatures can be kept in an enclosure with a three-foot wall because they will not jump if they cannot see where their feet will land. Isn't that fascinating? They could jump 10 feet high, but they will not jump a three-foot solid wall because they can't see what is on the other side. Faith is the ability to trust what we cannot see. With faith in our lives, we are freed from those flimsy enclosures of life that fear traps us in. You know, we don't, we shouldn't be entrapped, but we are because of uh, lack of faith. Because sometimes we're extremely afraid of what we cannot see. We're looking at some of the Hebrew heroes. They're found in Hebrews chapter 11. That chapter has been called the Hall of Faith chapter, or the Hall of Fame chapter. And it lists a bunch of people. Actually, they aren't all Hebrews, but mostly Hebrews. Uh, and in this chapter, we're looking at them kind of one at a time here and learning what we can from them. Uh, more is written about Moses and Abraham in this chapter than any of the other heroes of the faith. Now that's understood. Because the book of Hebrews was written to those uh, who were uh, who they were written to Hebrew Christians essentially, and uh, Abraham and Moses were two of their most prominent people that they looked up to, and so Abraham we know is the father of uh, basically the father of the Jews. Moses was the great emancipator; he's the one that led them out of Egypt. And so these were men of very high repute in the Hebrews' minds, and so much is written about them. We actually look at Abraham twice, but uh, this morning I'm going to look at verse number 8 uh, of Hebrews chapter 11. We can learn much from these men. Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 8, by faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed, and he went out not knowing whither he went. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. Verse number 10. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Now we'll look at Abraham this morning and his calling out of a place where he was living his entire life and uh, the obedience with which he followed God. Father, I pray today as we look at Abraham's uh, beginning of his life anyway and some of the choices that he made, uh, Lord, may we find ourselves in his story. May we find ourselves in his situation. Lord, help that to uh, encourage us to also have faith in our life. pray in Jesus' name, amen. We'll look at first it says here, look at the precepts for faith. We have 10 points about faith that I want to get through this morning. And there's no more. I'll, I'll try not to spend more than 15, 20 minutes on each one. Uh, but that's what we're going to look at this morning. 10 things about this faith. First of all, the precepts for faith. By faith, Abraham, when he was called. The calling of Abraham 
was a call from God. Now, we've talked about this, and, and I don't like to uh, overemphasize any single point, but it bears repeating that faith has to be, Bible faith, the faith that we need to have, has to be based on the Word of God, has to be based on some kind of precept from the Bible. Now, in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, we see the story that this is talking about. So we're going to uh, refer back and forth to Genesis 12, even if you want to turn there and, and look along with us, you can. Uh, but Genesis 12, 1, God told him, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show you. This was not a suggestion. It was a command. God did not come to Abraham and says, you ought to think about, he says, get thee out of thy country. Faith must be based on the word of God. Faith is not an option when it is then commanded by God. Remember what faith, the definition that we're using for faith that I think uh, is, is one of the best, simplest definitions of faith is, is obedience inspired by belief or belief inspired obedience. So we believe God and therefore we obey God. We believe when God says, do this and I will bless you or do this and I will, uh, whatever he promises conditional with it. We believe his promise and so we obey his command. And so Abraham did that. But faith must be based on the word of God. If you're not living by faith today, you are not performing your duty because it is, after all, the only way for us to please God. That's why it says in verse 6 here in this chapter, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. Why? Because faith is belief and obedience. If we don't believe what he says and don't obey what he says, how are we going to please him? You understand? So you either live by faith or you live by the flesh. I slept and dreamed that life was beauty. I woke and found that life was duty. <laughs> That's what uh, life of faith is all about. We ought to be obedient to the Lord. Number two, we see the premise of faith. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go, went out. Abraham had faith, uh, that is the belief in God, uh, the belief in what God says, and that affected his conduct. And so he had obedience. There you find the definition for faith. You find belief and you find obedience. Uh, now, we've said before that faith is not some wistful optimism. Uh, the faith that the Bible speaks about uh, it, it rests on divine principles, on what God says. It really comes down to this, if you want to boil it down to where the rubber meets the road, do we believe what's in this book? Do we believe what God says? And if we do, we need to have the faith to put it and act it into our actions. In the Christmas movie, Miracle on 34th Street, the old one, 1942, it was Susan Walker, young actress, who said these words, I believe, I believe. It's silly, but I believe. And that's a, actually a great example of how faith is seen by a world around us today in our culture. They see faith as a leap in the dark. They see faith as believing uh, for really no reason at all. And that is not the faith that we find in the Bible. The faith that we find in the Bible is believing God. And God, of course, is absolutely inerrant. The word of God is inerrant. And uh, we can put our faith and trust in it. Number three, we see the purity of faith. Uh, verse number eight of chapter 11. The Bible says here by faith, Abraham, uh, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for inheritance. Those two words go out. In Genesis chapter 1, a similar command here. He says, get thee out 
of thy country. If Abraham obeys this command, then he has to leave everything that he has known. Abraham is getting up in years at this time. And imagine what it would be like to get this command that you have to, everything you've worked for, everything you've accumulated, all the relationships you've built, you got to just go. He says, get out of your country. Uh, from your kindred, he says, and from thy father's house. Now, in this instance, this obedience to this uh, command would purify him. We know that the people that he lived around and even his family, they were not God-honoring people. According to Joshua chapter 24, verse 2, he came from a land of idol worshipers. And Abraham's family and his friends uh, were not supportive of a life of faith. And so I, I venture to say this is probably true for all of us, by the way. We lived in times when people around us don't support our serving God. They don't understand our commitment. Church, every week, three times a week, church, you go to church in the evenings too. Uh, they don't understand maybe the commitment that we make to the Lord. And uh, so we see their, uh, th that, their bad influence in Genesis chapter 11 when they tried to get him to move to Haran instead of Canaan. They tried to get him to compromise. You can also see the influence of his nephew Lot, uh, who was uh, pulled into a worldly and materialistic life, later living a wicked life in Sodom. Worst of all, Lot lost his family. Let me tell you today, folks, faith purifies. The flesh always defiles, but faith purifies. And so God said, go out. Genesis 12, 1, he says, get thee out. Uh, there are some people that Abraham had to separate from. And I, there could very well be some people in your life today that you need to separate from. And I'm not talking about uh, being holier than thou or having a bad attitude toward folks, but uh, our desire should be to draw as close to our Savior as we possibly can. And to do that, you know and I know, there are a few people we need to separate ourselves from to be able to draw ourselves close to the Savior. If you're living by faith, your life will be separated, it will have character, and it uh, will really separate itself from a wicked world. If there is true faith, there will be purity. If there is true faith, there will be holy conduct and a holy living in our life. By the way, God still expects holy living. Amen? He still expects us to be and do right. So the purity of faith. Number five, uh, four, the price of faith. Verse 8, he says, Go out into a place. In uh, chapter 12, verse 1 of Genesis, he said, Unto a land that I will show thee. Now, the writer of Hebrews, and I like really th the whole Bible, but I like this specifically here, doesn't paint a false picture for the Hebrew Christians here. Uh, he told them to live by faith, but nowhere in this chapter do you find that it's a cheap or an easy road. It is a difficult thing sometimes. There is a price to pay. There is uh, living a life of faith. It'll cost you something. And he doesn't mince words here as he writes this. The, the price that Abraham had to pay, it was a big price. Let me give you a few things that we just consider Abraham's life here. Disassociation. Chapter 12, verse 1 of Genesis. Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred, from thy father's house. Now this would have included some tears probably. Separating from his family. It's no fun leaving home. It's hard when kids go off to college. It's actually not that hard. I should probably leave that one out. It's hard when families move from one community to the other. 
It's hard when you have to uproot and make new friends and, and uh, maybe start a new job or start a new life over in a new community. And it's really hard when you get older, like Abraham was, uh, to, to just start over. And, and yet I wonder how many people today miss God's best for them because they're not willing to separate from what's bad for them. Separation is often a price that we have to pay for serving God. Bible told, uh, God told Abraham, get thee out of thy country. Now, here's the thing about separation, though. Uh, he told him, God told Abraham to get out of his country, to, get, to leave something, to separate from something, but he put in an unto after he told him to go out from. So he said, get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a place or unto a land that I will show thee. When it comes to separation, the to is as important as the from. Don't miss that. Because every time the Bible tells us to separate from something, we are always to also separate unto something. Now, if you only separate from, that's where you get legalism. That's where you get religion. That's where you get all kinds of false beliefs. There's people in this world today that separate from everything, and it means nothing if they don't separate unto something. You can separate from the world and not separate to God. Hey, you, you can go this morning uh, and join the Amish, not drive a car ever, not have electricity. Ladies, you can wear long dresses. Men, you can grow big old long scraggly beards, and you can separate from everything but not separate to the Lord and won't do you a lick of good. You can, and people like that always do claim, look how holy I am. Look at the things I don't do. Look at all the things I separate from. I am separated from the world. But if you're not separating to something, you're missing the point. Romans chapter 1, verse 1. Remember who Paul was? Paul was a Pharisee. Paul was a, uh, really a Pharisee of the Pharisees. And he lived by rules that we can't even imagine. He was separated from everything. His whole life was about rules. You look at these a couple of Sabbath rules, uh, just, just looking at Sabbath, there are rules about everything, but just looking at some Sabbath rules, a woman uh, can't have a bow on her dress unless it's sewn on. Otherwise, it would be carrying it. So it can't be clipped on, it's got to be sewn on. Otherwise, it would be uh, carrying a bow. You cannot tear toilet paper on the Sabbath. You cannot carry a briefcase. You cannot drive because the Bible talks specifically about not making a fire. And when you drive through your internal combustion, you are creating a fire. So you cannot drive. You cannot walk over 0.56818 miles. <laughs> you don't find that in the Bible, by the way. These are just rules they make up. And that's what rule-oriented people do. You cannot eat out on the Sabbath. And, all, and the list goes on and on and on and on. Because uh, we are separating from. But then Paul says, after Paul got saved, here's what he says in Romans chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, and here it is, separated unto the gospel. It's okay to be separated from, but it doesn't do us any good if we're not separated unto. And so the, the problem is with the Pharisees and religious people even today that will separate from is when they don't separate unto anything. See, Christian, there's a reason for us to be separated from the world. We ought to be. It's not to accumulate a list of things we don't do. It's not so that we think ourselves a better person. Listen to this poem here because this is what happens when we 
when we have a bunch of don'ts in our life and separate from, we start to think that we're better than other people. It leads to a superiority complex. Listen to this. Somebody wrote, Believe as I believe, no more, no less. Confess that I am right and no one else. Feel as I feel, think as I think. Eat what I eat, drink only what I drink. Look as I look, do always as I do, and then and only then will I fellowship with you. Isn't that the attitude some people have in a Christian life? Well, you got to be just like me, or I can't hang around you. That, that's not the idea of separation at all. It's not to get into a, a position where we think we're better than someone else. The goal is simply that we separate from the world and to God. We want to get as close to Him as we can. That's the, the, the goal of our separation should be to, not focused on the from. As a youth pastor, I constantly got questions from teenagers about uh, that, that started out with what's wrong with, and then you just fill in the blank. Why can't I do this? What's wrong with this music? What's wrong with this song? And I always turned around, oh, well, you, you first answer my question, then I'll deal with yours. You tell me what's right with it. It changes our thinking a little bit, doesn't it? The idea is not, it's like sumo wrestling. I've never sumo wrestled for obvious reasons. Uh, but uh, if you've ever watched sumo wrestling, you've ever, no, nobody watches sumo wrestling, right? I don't even know why they have it but in this country. But anyway, let me just tell you a little bit about it. It's a big mat, uh, a circular, octa, octa, yeah, that around, big round thing. And the sumo wrestlers basically have one, Desire, and that is to push each other off the mat. That's why you see the hong, you know, and the, the big crash in the middle, and then they try to shove each other off the mat. And the idea then, or the goal for every sumo wrestler is to stay as far away from the edge as you possibly can because you want to push the other one off the mat. Does that make sense, doesn't it? Why then do, and the Christian life, by the way, we ought to think the same way. Let's stay as far away from the edge as we possibly can. Why do we as Christians want to stand as close to the edge as we possibly can instead of get as close to Jesus as we possibly can? The idea of separation is not to say, I don't listen to this music, I don't see that, I don't do this, I don't go there, I don't hang around with these people, I don't, and have a whole list of don'ts. Those are, that's fine. We oughtn't be involved in any wickedness, but let's put our focus in, I want to be separated unto someone. To Jesus, we ought to be. That ought to be the focus and the goal of our separation. And by the way, we have to be separated from the world to be separated to Him. That's the only way that we can do it because they're diametrically opposites from each other. That's why the Bible tells us in John two fifteen, "Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him." That's what separation is about. We just want to get closer to the Lord Jesus Christ. Is not to make me better than you. The Old Testament talks about separation. Well, we see it in Abraham's uh, example there, but the, the word separation, uh, the closest word we could find for that is holiness. That's what holiness is. It's sanctification. It's uh, to be separated. In Leviticus 20, verse 7, the Bible says, Sanctify yourselves, therefore, and be ye holy, for I am the Lord your God. Now, separation is not always explained. But it is always rewarded. Uh, look at, if, if you're there, Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Uh, I want to read this and, and, and notice that there's something missing here. He said, Now the Lord had said unto Abraham, or Abram at that time, Get thee out of thy country, from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, into a land I will show thee, and I will make 
thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, on so on and so forth. But what's missing there? He never told him why. All right, I'll, I'll go, Lord. I'll separate, but, but why? Hey, he told him, move away from his friends, from his family. This is a big deal. This is a big move. And this isn't time. You can't FaceTime him, okay? When he's leaving, he's leaving. This is the last time he'll see any of them in his natural life. And he's taken off and moving away. Why, God? He didn't tell him why. He told him he'd bless him, but he didn't tell him why. Sometimes I think as parents, not all the time, but sometimes I think we focus a little too much time trying to explain uh, our rules and the reasons for our no's to our children when they just need to obey. Right? They just need to obey. When I was a kid, I hated the answer because I said so. You ever ask him, why do I have to? Because I said so. What? What's that? That's not a good reason for me. As a parent, I kind of like that phrase. It's I've changed my thinking on it as I've grown older. Uh, why? Because I said so. Hey, it sounds a lot better coming from this direction than it does on receiving it. But sometimes, that's all God does. He just says so. He didn't explain. Hey, he gave them all kinds of dietary laws to the Israelites. He never explained why. Later, now with modern medicine, we can understand a lot of those things. But he never told them why. Hey, the Israelite might have, as he heard these dietary laws, I love bacon. I like to wrap my shrimp with bacon. It makes my shrimp so much. Wait, I can't have shrimp either? I mean, he's listening to these rules, and he didn't understand why. God just put down the rules. Now later, we find out he did things, rules like not to drink milk with meat and different things. Later, through scientific discoveries, we've learned the wisdom of a lot of the things that God gave the Jews way back then. You know, God's a little bit ahead of science. <laughs> and so he knew the laws and rules to give them. And then God told them at one point, you do what I say and you'll have none of these diseases. And so God gave them some wise counsel and some dietary laws, but he didn't really explain it at the time. He just gave it to them. God does not always tell us why we need to do what we do, or why, why we should do what he tells us. He doesn't always tell us at the time. That's where faith comes in. Do we trust him? Do you trust God? If you trust him, then you'll do what he says, like Abraham did. Abraham didn't understand. I've always marveled, and you know, sometimes you, you think about what's not in the Bible, and there's something huge here that's not in the Bible that I've always kind of marveled at, uh, and that is when Abraham went and told his wife, Sarah, the plans. Now think about how that conversation must have went. Sarah, we're packing up. We're moving. Where are we going? Don't know. Well, how long is it going to take to get there? Don't know that either. We're just going to go. That's a tough sale to his wife. And he, he did it. And, and thankfully, we talk about Sarah next week. Sarah had faith too. But think about that. Uh, not knowing all these things, he just told them to separate. Sometimes we just need to obey. <clears throat> There's reasons we don't do the things we don't do. Sometimes we don't understand it fully here. Let's just trust him and obey. A woman came home to find her husband. She walked through the door and saw her husband in the kitchen. And he's shaking frantically, moving back and forth, doing all kinds of weird dances and there's some kind of wire uh, running from his waist, uh, and, and she doesn't see where it goes, but obviously she's thinking immediately, 
that uh, he's suffering some kind of electrocution there. So intending to jolt him away from whatever deadly current had him, she found a handy plank of wood standing there and hit him as hard as she could to separate him from it, breaking his arm. And up to that moment, he had happily been listening to his iPhone. Uh, but there are reasons Baptists don't dance. Okay, that might be one of them right there. Uh, there's not always reasons given why God tells us what to do or what not to do. But let's trust him. There was also not only uh, this separation, but disapproval. He go, Going out into a place not knowing whether he went. Uh, listen, can you imagine the ridicule he'd have gotten from his neighbors on this one? Telling them that I'm going on it, I'm going forever. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know how long it'll take to get there. I'm just following God. It's hard enough to walk in faith. It's still the harder to do it with the disapproval of friends, but you cannot always expect on support from others to live by faith. Sometimes we just need to obey God. The world especially will not understand faith. Try to explain to an unsaved person how you who might be struggling financially still tithe. Try to explain that. It doesn't make any sense. If you've got unpaid bills and you're running short on cash, why would you give money to the church? As a Christian, you know if you've spent, any, if you've tithed any in your life, and if you haven't, let me tell you right now, as a Christian, you know that you can do more with 90% than you can do with 100%. Don't ask me how that works, but it's a promise from God, and it works. Try me out. Try it out for, if you've never tried it, try it out for six months. I guarantee you, you'll do more with 90 than you will with 100. I don't know how that doesn't work mathematically, but it does work in the Bible, and it's uh, proven to be true over and over and over. One of the hardest costs to pay in living, for faith, in living by faith is the disapproval cost. Getting uh, a hard time from friends and family, because it is human nature. We want human approval. We want to have approval from those around us. And I cannot give you the formula for success, immediate success, but I can give you the formula for immediate failure, and that is try to please everyone. You just won't. Try to please him, and uh, you're on your way to success there. Abraham did it by faith. And then uh, not only that, another difficulty he would have had is the desert. He would have had to cut across desert land and travel many miles on the desert. And, and desert travel is risky for a myriad of reasons. And then there was the distance. The trip from Ur uh, to Canaan was a d total distance of over a 1,000 miles. And a 1,000 miles isn't that daunting for us today, but it would have been a long trip for him at that time. He did it by camel. He did it by foot. Uh, the distance here emphasizes his commitment. He was going to go. He was going to do what God said, no matter what it cost him, no matter how long it took him, he was going to obey. That's faith. Those who live by faith must go the distance. You must have that commitment. A missionary society years ago wrote to David Livingstone, while he was in the mission field. He said, have you found a good road to where you are? If so, we want to know how to send other men to join you. David Livingston answered, if you have men who will come only if there are good roads, keep them. I don't want them. I want men who will come when there's no road at all. Hey, we need to have some commitment in our Christian life today. We need to have the faith to obey God even when it's difficult, even when it's not easy. Abraham did. So few people today are willing to make a commitment. They'll make a commitment to other things, but when it comes to making a commitment to God, how few people will do that. At the slightest sign of trouble, 
folks are looking for greener grass. They're moving on down the road. Listen, if we're going to live our life by biblical faith, we're going to go the distance. We're going to have commitment, and we're going to uh, keep on going for the Lord. A. Art Turok said, there's a difference between interest and commitment. When you're interested in doing something, you do it only when circumstances permit. That, that's like golf. I'm interested in golf. I'm not committed to it. I'm interested in it. That means if the weather's right, if I have time, I mean, if the stars are all aligned, if everything works out, I have nothing else to do, I'll play some golf. I enjoy it then, but I'm not committed. I, I drive by other, day, other times, and it's raining. There's some guy out there golfing out in the rain. I, think, I don't have that kind of commitment to golf. There's a difference, isn't it, between interest and commitment. Listen to what he says here. He says, when you're, when you're interested in doing something, you do it only when circumstances permit. When you're committed to something, you accept no excuses. We ought to live our Christian life not as we're interested in it, but as if we're committed to it. Amen? So that's what we ought to live. Living for God is to be known in long-term dedication. John chapter 8, verse 31, Jesus said, if you continue in my word, if you continue in my word, you're my disciples indeed. Not only desert, distance, but discomfort. Abraham did not travel in a luxury motorhome. Abraham did not ride in a vehicle uh, on modern expressways. I was going to say when I was writing these notes that Abraham didn't have heated seats, but if he rode on a camel, I guess he kind of had heated seats. He did not go in a jet. Uh, his vehicle was a camel if he even had that. I mean, this was rough going. Uh, he would have no overnight stays at the Hampton Inn with continental breakfast. It's not the way he traveled. He had a difficult road ahead of him. He had commitment, uh, even through discomfort. Listen, can I tell you today that faith in your life will not always let you travel first class. Sometimes it's going to be a difficult road. Sometimes it'll require difficult situations. If you are waiting for comfort, and if you're waiting for convenience in your Christian life, before you'll live for God, you'll probably never do much for Him. We need a faith to take us through the discomfort, to take us through the difficult times. Comfort, by the way, is not necessarily evil. I like comfort. I think we all like comfort. Uh, it's a great thing. But uh, how often do we demand comfort before we do anything? To be a disciple of Jesus, I just put a few of these down. There's many more, but, but listen to the, just a couple things here. To be a disciple of Jesus, according to Matthew 16, 24, we have to deny ourselves. Deny ourselves. Luke 14, 27, we have to take up our cross. Luke, uh, John 15, 20, we have to be subject to persecution. He said everyone, by the way, in that verse. Uh, Luke 9, 58, we have to give up the creature comforts of home. Uh, Matthew 19, 21, we have to be willing to give up all our material possessions. And Matthew, uh, Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, we must be willing to be crucified with Christ daily. Now, look at this, in Christian life isn't for the weak. Unlike what Bill Maher and others have said, it's not a crutch for the weak-minded. Christianity is uh, for the toughest among us. Hey, any anybody can float downstream like a dead fish. Take someone who's alive. It takes someone who's got some strength and some gumption, some commitment to fight against the, the cultural stream. C.S. Lewis says, I didn't go to be religion to make me happy. If you want religion to make you feel comfortable, I certainly don't recommend Christianity. I don't either. That's not why we do it, is it? We're not called as a Christian to ride on a cruise ship for the rest of our life. We become a Christian, we find out we're getting on a battleship. 
And so it is the rest of our life. Discomfort is a price that faith pays. Not uh, The flesh is not willing to pay it, but faith will pay it. And then look at uh, number five, the path of faith. Verse eight, he obeyed. If you're going to walk by faith, you'll walk obediently. Faith is submissive to the Word of God. It believes what the Word of God says, then it behaves how the Word of God tells it to behave. That's what faith is. Belief-inspired obedience. And then number six, the promises of faith. Uh, Verses eight and nine, you'll find four times the words inheritance, the word promise, the word heirs, the word promise again. Four times in these two verses, uh, we see words that indicate the rewards of faith. There are great rewards for obedience to God. There are rewards that we cannot even imagine today. The price of faith is a great investment. No one gets more bang for their buck than those that live by faith for God. Uh, We see in those verses the sureness of the rewards. Four times he talks about the rewards. You can count on them. Uh, Sin. Sin. Listen, friends. Sin will promise you rewards and deliver you misery. Oh, his rewards are sure. The season for the rewards. Look at what he says here. Inheritance, promise, heirs. All those words speak of the future. You see, there's a difference. And this is why living for the flesh is so appeasing. Because if you live for the flesh, you get your reward today and you pay for it tomorrow. Right? The reward, uh, flesh gives you immediate reward, but you pay for it down the road because you always reap what you sow. There always have a, 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 sin carries a high price tag. Living for faith, on the other hand, you labor today and you get your reward tomorrow. And there's no fun in that, is there, in our flesh speaking. We want the reward right now. That's why people are so got so much credit card debt. You get the reward today, you pay tomorrow, right? That's the easy, fun way to do it. That's what the flesh offers you. The, the faith is different, though. There's a season for the rewards, and it's in the future. Uh, look at the specifics. Uh, of the rewards. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 2, I will make unto thee a great nation. I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee and curse them that curse thee. In thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. These are amazing rewards. There is a promise about federation. He says, I will make you a great nation. Uh, Abraham's seed did become a great nation. There was a promise about flourishing. He says, I will bless thee. Uh, Abraham's blessings, uh, he had family blessings, material blessings, and growth. Great, great spiritual blessings because he obeyed God. There was a promise about fame. He says, I'll make thy name great. For 4,000 years, the name Abraham has been revered. Even by many world religions, Abraham's name has been revered. There's a promise about favors. He said, thou shalt be a blessing. Abraham and his seed have given many favors to the world today, have they not? You could look at uh, our history. You could see in science, aviation, photography, medicine, transportation, electronics. Many other areas have benefited from the seed of Abraham's race. There is a principle here, though, that we ought to grasp. Because uh, he says there, thou shalt be a blessing. God blessed Abraham so that Abraham could bless others. There's a principle there. God does not bless us so we can enjoy them selfishly. God blesses us so that we can bless others. There's a man in Luke chapter 12 who did exactly that. He had lots of blessing 
and he used he was going to use them all selfishly. He said, I'm going to build greater barns. I'm going to uh, store my goods. I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry. I'm going to retire early. I'm going to enjoy my life. God said in verse 20, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose things shall these things be? Or whose shall these things be? It's a great question. Uh, so the I will bless thee should be followed by thou shalt be a blessing. That was, that was Abraham's uh, situation there. There's also a promise about friends. I will bless them that bless thee. Nations that have supported uh, the Jews have been especially blessed by God. Look at your history. I believe that's one of the primary reasons God has been so good to America because Israel has had no greater fit friend than the United States of America and God has blessed us, I believe, because of this. There's a promise about foes. I will curse him that curseth thee. Nations that have persecuted the Jews have met with divine judgment. Can I give you a few? Babylon, Rome, Egypt, Germany, and there's others, but those are just a few that have attacked specifically the Jews and have suffered the wrath and punishment of God for it. You do not want to mess with God's chosen nation. There's a promise about forgiveness. This is the greatest one that benefits all of us. In thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. How's that? That's the most important fulfillment of that is the promise of the gospel. In Galatians chapter 3 verse 8, the scripture preached before the gospel unto Abraham saying, in thee shall all nations be blessed. How can we all be blessed? Because it was through Abraham's seed that we got our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Hey, these are some great rewards that Abraham got for just obeying God. He said, get up and go. Abraham got up and went. Move to a place that I'll show you. Abraham did what he said. Listen, can we just uh, commit in our hearts and our lives to obey God? When we don't understand it, still obey. Jesus Christ came through the seed of Abraham. Uh, there's a well-known secular humanist, Marganta Lasky, and this is what she said, What I envy most about you Christians is your forgiveness. I have nobody to forgive me. We do, don't we? Hallelujah, we have the Lord Jesus Christ who promises to forgive us of our sins. And then number seven, the perplexity of faith. Not knowing whether he went. Abraham was given only enough information to begin moving. <laughs> That's it. But not knowing where he went. He went. A, 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 he obeyed anyway. You ever been driving in a really dark night? The, the will of God is kind of like the headlights of your car. You can see enough to keep going, but you can't see miles and miles down the road. You don't know what's waiting for you 10 miles down. You can just see you've got a, a bubble of light in front of you that allows you to keep going. Sometimes the will of God's like that. We don't have the, the 10 years, the 5 years down the road answer, but we have the next step. That's why the Bible says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. It, a lamp on your feet is not going to light. It's not a spotlight. It's just going to light your next step. And then you light your next step. And then the next step. What it takes for us is to have some faith in God who knows what's best for us, who commands and directs our way. And we should just be willing to say, God, you lead and I will follow. I'll go wherever you send me. That's where faith comes in. Number eight, the prudence of faith. He said, the Bible says in verse 9, he sojourned in a land of promise. Can I tell you, this is the only place to live where God's promises exist? Hey, friend, don't live where God's promises aren't. 
Don't spend your time in a bar or other dens of iniquity. Don't stay in bed on Sunday morning. Don't choose the world uh, over God's plan for your life. And we could go on and on. A lot of us want God's blessing, but we live where his blessings are not. He sojourned a land of promise. Faith will live in the right place. Faith will respect God's no trespassing signs, no parking signs, and keep out signs. God puts those signs all throughout Scripture. There are places we ought to keep out of and not to trespass in those places and to avoid those things. Listen to those areas of God's commandments. Number nine, the profession of faith. He sojourned in a land of promise, dwelling in tabernacles. The word translated tabernacles there means tents. That's what that is telling us there. He lived in tents. He might have lived in a mansion in the land of Ur, but he lived in tents for the rest of his life. The Canaanites around Abraham, they lived in fortified cities. They lived in permanent structures. You know what Abraham's tent said? Hey, this isn't my home yet. I'm just passing through. You know the song, this world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I just can't feel at home in this world anymore. The tragedy is that when the world looks at most Christians, these Christians are just as interested in earthly things as they are. Not Abraham. Abraham had the testimony of faith. He had the testimony that he was not uh, in a permanent place. He was just passing through. But today, uh, as one preacher put it, and this is uh, some truth in this statement, said if you put the world and the church in a big bag today, shake it up and pour them out, it'd be hard to tell one from the other. And there's a lot of truth in that. Abraham, though, lived by faith. There's a difference. And then finally, the prospects of faith. He looked for a city which had foundations, whose builder and maker is God. The word looked for here involves a word that I like, expectation. He looked for, he had anticipation, he expected it. He had a holy anticipation of something that was greater than what he saw on earth. He looked for a city whose builder and maker is God. You know what faith wants? Faith wants something that's better than built in the USA. Now, I like built in the USA, but by faith, I want something a little better than that for my eternal future, don't you? Faith looks for something better than that. It wants the, the uh, city whose builder and maker is God. Faith has a higher value sense than does the flesh. The flesh wants immediate gratification. Faith looks forward to what is better. The flesh is satisfied with trash, but faith wants what is best. Lot was satisfied with Sodom. Abraham was interested in a city whose builder and maker is God. you see the difference in that? A flesh will accept something that's no good for us. Faith looks forward and wants something better. Faith values the soul above all the world. Uh, Brother Dwight Smith sent me a, a text the other day, uh, just a, a quote uh, that, that says if, you can tell the value of a soul because both God and the devil are after it. And, and we, in faith, we, we put a value on the soul, don't we? We understand the value of a soul. We understand the verse, what doth it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? We understand that verse. The flesh lives for the world. Faith lives for something greater. Can I tell you this morning, your preferences tell a great deal about your faith or the lack thereof. So let me ask you this morning, how is your faith? How is 
your faith when it comes to belief-inspired obedience. If the word of God came to you the way that it did to Abraham, would you obey? Now, you, you probably won't get the message to uh, move to another country, but uh, you'll get other messages. you get other commands through the word of God. You'll get other directions. Are you willing to obey? Are you willing to have faith that God knows better than you? Are you willing to have that faith? I remember sitting with my parents years ago and having that conversation because I was, I don't know, 13, 14 years old. And I understood clearly that I knew much better what was best for me than my parents did. Because they were old. They were outdated. They were like in their 30s. What do they know? And you know how foolish that is. But how foolish is it for us to think that we know better than God? Let's have faith. Let's just trust Him. So when He says move, we move. When He says whatever, we do it. Because we trust Him. Now, why not trust someone who sees our tomorrows? We can't. Why not trust Him? He sees our tomorrows. We just need to trust Him. Father, we thank You for...